Greetings, my friends. This is Mark Hoverson, and welcome to Minute with Mark. We're going to pick off uh, where we left up on last episode when I was getting to this part in the UK men's health about findings on how men rate their own success. Like what, according to the UK men that responded to this survey, I think it's going to be some interesting findings. And I'm going to share just a little bit of a marketing um, insight that we did, and then a little parenting thing, and then just a little couple maybe wisdom tricks. But anyway, let me start with marketing real quick. Um, so this is this is more applied to digital marketers, entrepreneurs in the online space. And really, I think if anybody who has a business right now, there's a physical real estate, and then there's digital real estate. And if if you're if a business currently you know, with the rare exceptions, super rare exceptions of like super boutique kind of things, um, almost everybody should pretty much by now have a list, a buyer's list that they can email and follow up with. So if you have a business, whether it's a restaurant, um, chiropractor, office, whatever, and not working on the content marketing game, which is little snippets of value to your base to keep you at the front of their mind, to keep your services in front of them, to keep your value in front of them. Um, so this should apply to pretty much all the listeners. But a little fun fact we do, scientific marketing, is we look at stats every month or so and just we I look for things that are the non-obvious needle movers. Like what's something that's non-obvious? What's something we haven't tried? What's something we haven't thought of? And this is a interesting little thing. So when we mail our list, um, we blast it out and we get X amount of opens. And then we'll mail the next day and we get X amount of opens. Now, there's a feature where you can mail your unopens. And so we tested mailing unopened. So we mail the original list at 8 a.m. Eastern. And then I told Jaden, I said, hey, mail the identical email eight hours later. Mail it or whatever. Mail it at 5 o'clock Eastern only to the unopened. So the people who click, you know, the system reads that they clicked and that if they didn't click, they get a second email. So in reality, there's there's a very good chance that thousands of people come home and see two of the same emails from me. So I don't like doing that too often, but I wanted to try it. So we tried it a couple times over the last month and what we found out to my kind of surprise, and this is very valuable to a digital marketer, is we found out that we're 80% more opens of our emails if we mail the identical email to people that didn't click the first time we mail them eight hours later we get 80 percent more opens that means if a thousand people open the first email eight hours goes by their inbox fills up the day in the cycle whatever then they come home from work or whatever if we mail them again we get 800 new opens so I told Jaden from a systematic thing that now systematically we're sending every email twice. So now here's the deal. You could say, okay, well, that's an obvious thing. Email it. Well, what I wanted to look at was how many people complained and how many people unsubscribed from this practice. Because if you come and, you, you know, it's like two emails, same exact subject line, everything's identical. You know, is that too much? And then what we found with our list is the complaints were um, like... 0.01 like it was totally nominal like almost no complaints across the board and then only a couple unsubscribes max 
So I realized the negative hit from the super male wasn't, didn't have a negative effect. It just had almost doubling our exposures of our message. So anyway, uh, for now, we're going to put that in absolute protocol. But then what the guard is, is we're going to watch that stats over the next, over the next month and see if complaints take a rise, you know, if spam complaints rise. And we're just going to kind of monitor it to make sure it's a sustainable practice. Um, I've done it a lot in the past. It's, it's highly recommended email practice. So anyway, food for thought on that. For the, many of you who don't do email stuff, that couldn't have been more boring probably. Um, let me share a quick thing before we go to personal happiness. Um, this is a little parenting thing. Is my, One of my kids, uh, they're all in karate. Okay, so they're in karate, and when you're good in karate, you get a little, you get a little, uh, you get a little, like, uh, what is it? It's a piece of electrical tape, colored electrical tape on the end of your belt when you have a good practice, and you need X amount of these colors to be able to qualify to test for the next belt rank. Now, I've been really pumped with karate. I didn't have a lot of, like, cares about the program, but... Kids wanted to get in it. They got in it. And I tell you, it's really powerful because the sensei would say, you know, if you're uh, – tells the parents, hey, just so you guys know, if the kids show dishonor at home, you know, I want to give you parents the authority to be able to take away a sticker. Now, the kids have been in karate for a year and a half, and I've never taken away a sticker. But one of my kids was a particular arsehole to another one of his siblings. And so – I, I actually took a sticker off, which was required for him to test for the next rank advancement in his belt, which he's on a, you know, the kids are committed to being black belts. We had a big talk and, we, you know, like we have a fam we have family sessions and we had the big sessions and I was like, all right, well, we'll we're game to, I'm, you know, they, they've toyed around with karate for a while. I said, all right, if you guys want to commit to black belt, then commit to black belt and decide if you're going to commit to it as a minimum goal. So, you know, you got to, I, I wanted to sell them on that vision a little bit. And they, they all unanimously were like, let's do it. Let's do this black. And it's a multiple year, you know, deal. It's thousands and thousands of dollars and equipment and fees and testing and all these things. But I love it because it gives it, it's a great discipline thing. It's a nice individual sport. It gives them blah, 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 a lot of things. Well, anyway, I took off this sticker um, and I don't do that lightly, but I said, you know, that, that level of dishonor is just, no, I'm not flying with it. Now, obviously that's really a devastating moment. And I said, well, here's, here's the thing. And I'm going to leave this totally up to you to, I say to the kid, one of my kids, I say, here's the thing. I'm going to give you this sticker and I want you to take it to the sensei. Now th this is the subtlety. Um, and I want you to to pull the sensei or one of the assistants aside before practice, you can show up 30 minutes early, find an open window, and I, if you want to ask the sensei and describe what happened and say, here's what happened, um, there was a little situation with my brother, I dishonored him by doing what I did, I scratched his face, that's what the kid did, the kid swung at his face, hit his face, which is crazy, like that stuff doesn't happen around here, so really kind of a gnarly moment, but anyway, I said, you know, if you want to explain the situation, scratch my brother's face, dad took away this, but dad said, if I could come to you, and you had extra exercise, or extra work I could do around here today, to, and then do a great practice, 
if it's okay with you, I can put the sticker back on. So Shannon, I didn't go because I had shit to do, but I said, you know, and mommy can be next to you to kind of be a safety net. Now, it, this is a terrifying thing. You're going to the sensei of like a big karate gym and, and this is a young boy. This is not Isaac, by the way. It's one of my younger guys. Well, anyway, um, to address an adult and explain the situation. And I said, if you're, if you have the courage to do that and, and have that conversation and speak like a man to the sensei and, and accept whatever he says, you got to accept it. If he says, no, you know, once it's off, it's off. And that, that's the rule. I said, you've got to be brave enough to confront it and then humble enough to accept it. And if he says you can do this and put it back on, then I'm fine with that. But if you're too nervous to approach him, you're too scared, you're not confident, then, you know, we're going to leave the thing off, which really affected a lot of things because you'd have to re-earn that sticker and then there's a month gap before he could test for his next belt. It'd be annoying logistically for us. But the lesson is, here's the lesson. I didn't want, A, I didn't want to just, here, you're punished. You see, parents, punishing is not the vision of discipline. Discipline, the root word is disciple. The concept is learning. The concept is mastery. The concept is discipline. In college, you study disciplines. And when, you, when you've gone through different sorts of disciplines, it means that you understand and you've been taught in that frame of thinking and in that frame of study. So I don't punish our kids. That's not how we roll. We discipline our kids. And we give them lots of options. And, you know, sometimes I'll ask them, like, what would you do if you were me right now? So I'll ask an eight-year-old kid, okay, you're, you're wanting to raise the – let's pretend – let's switch roles, okay? You're 38. You're raising these kids. I summarize the situation. Now now it's you. You have to deal with something. Do you do nothing whatsoever? Is that That's an option to do absolutely nothing. Do you think action should be taken? Like, so I – discipline for me is not – it's it's a ton of work. It's probably the wisest. It it, it requires the most wisdom of anything I do, business, um, life, wedding, marriage, all that stuff. Raising the kids is what I yearn and require the most wisdom to to sensitively approach. Well, anyway, he was game, and he went to the sensei, and he was kind of blubbering and kind of crying and kind of like, well, you know, he's a kid, but. But raising confident kids isn't doing shit for them. It, that's not the answer. Like I could have took the sticker off and shamed him and said, "Ah, look at that! Now you're ruining blah blah blah," and gave him a shame moment. But I gave him a chance to redeem himself. And with the kids, just our philo- philosophical base is like redemption has to be on the table on no matter what they did. I don't care what they did. I don't care if he killed his older brother there would be a redeeming path that we would offer him. I don't give it, I don't care. There's always a redemptive path. So there was the redemptive path was to talk to the sensei. Well, anyway, he kind of bubbled, you know, he's scared and nervous and trembling a little bit, but he did it. Sensei said 50 perfect push-ups, which he did. And then a perfect practice. He got his belt. He got his thing back. He came back a champion to the house. Um, he came back, told me the story. He's buzzing. He's high-fiving. I'm proud of him. And, you know, we have a quick little family gathering. This, this is like a one-minute thing. I said, everybody, I want you to pay attention. Um, that, you know, this kid showed courage today. 
he could have very easily said, no, uh, no, forget it. He could have been too nervous to approach the sensei, but he had the courage to approach him. He had the courage to take responsibility for his action because he wants that black belt and he wants the fast track to it. And I said, what he just did is an example of, of manhood. And I said, I'm proud of you. You know, all of us are going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to, and, and real legitimate mess ups, not like, oh, that was stupid. No, like genuine stupid thing that, that are bad. And I said, you did the right thing. So what happened was from, from the error, from the dis, from the bad came dignity more than was before the bad. Okay. So the, the, for, the forgiveness, the redemptive path, the, the muscle that was built, actually he's, he emerged from that day better than if he had not scratched his brother's face. That's the power of a redemptive path for the kids. And chew on that, what, what have you. So that, one other thing, then we'll get to this personal happiness thing, is so that, that sparked conversations about, you know, the kids were just talking, oh, Isaac, Isaac's trying out for this team, and there's 50 kids trying out for 10 spots, and it's basketball, and, you know, it's intense, and, and these kids are good and tall. They practice. I mean, Isaac's got his workout for him. And I said, you know, he was talking about cuts, and I said, you know, when I was a coach in, in my previous life, I said I coached, I had an eighth grade cut. And I had said, I think I had like 25 kids for 10 spots. And I said, you know what I did? And this is just a little Solomon secrets. I'm always thinking like, what would Solomon do? I asked myself, how would Solomon address this situation? So I have all these kids. And when you're seventh and eighth grade, you're 100% ego that you should be on the team, the world should revolve around you, you should not only make the team, but probably start on the team and probably be the point guard. And, you know, like, that's just the mindset of a kid. So with the eighth graders, what I did was I, t I gave them a little sheet of paper and I said, here's the thing, this isn't a vote by any means, and it's not a popularity contest by any means. And I'm going to ask for your integrity to not share. Um, now, I know you're going to share, but I'm going to ask you not to. And I don't even want you to feel guilty if you do. But just on principle, I don't want you to share. Um, but I have a really hard choice. I have a really hard choice. There's 20 of you, and all of you are awesome. And really, I said, in a perfect world, all of you would play. But I said, just at the way the world works, I, I have to cut 10, 10 of you. And I don't like it, and it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable, and it's going to make you feel sad, and, and all of that's real. And I said, but I have a tough decision. And I said, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm just going to ask you to try to, I want to be just here. And so this is what I had these kids do. This is years ago. I said, I want you to make a list of 12 players. Now I only get to make 10, but I want you to think who would make up the best team. So it might be the 10 best players or the 12 best players, but I, I want you to think who would be the best team. You know, think centers, think, think guards, think point guards. And and I want you to have the courage. And I, I said, I'm not, what you hand me isn't, I'm going to just consider. I'm not going to, it's not my guiding decision. But I'm curious. I have thoughts on who this, the 10 people are, but I kind of do want to hear from you guys. I actually do. And I said, if you just write down who you think the top 10 are and then add two more on there. And I kid you guys not. Everyone came back with the same 10. One kid thought he should be on the 10, but there was 10, there was nine kids that didn't put their name on the top 10. And it was the easiest cut I ever did because all the kids were faced with my situation to select a team. 
right? And I kind of guide them through. It was pretty ginger, gingerly done. And I came out of that cutting. And so when I met with kids, I, I took their list. I, I, or I got all the list. And then I met with each kid individually. And I just said, hey, you know what? You were on every single person's list. You're on my list too. Congratulations. You made the team. And then when it comes up there, the, the kid would say, you know what? I, I don't think, I really don't think I should be on this team. I think, you know, this and that and the other thing. I don't think I, I would make that cut. That was 50% of the kids. So anyway, just food for thought. When you're, when you're faced with – and this is the takeaway. This is a practice. When you're faced with a hard conversation, the worst thing you can do is move in, move in a direction that's not real, which means acting like it's not hard. Um, so there's a leadership principle in candor that if you're firing somebody or whatever, it's like, you know what? I'm terrible at this. I'm a coward when it comes to this. This is awkward for me. Um, just if it's true, if that's how you are, if you're not like that, maybe, maybe you're psychopathic. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> or at least have no capacity for empathy. Um, but anyway, when you when you can do that, you can you can share and you can accomplish things with less friction. That's all your. That's for me as a leader. What I'm looking for is less friction to the future. Less friction, more action more glory into the future. So food for thought, when you're faced with that kind of stuff and you have decisions, the more you can enroll people into the complexity of the decision that if, if it affects them negatively or something, um, let them know, right? And just say, you know, here's like, if you have to let someone go, just say, you know, here's, here's my situation. Like here's where revenue is at. Here's, we've been able to automate this part, or we've been able to find this, or this person's come in and actually has the capacity to do four people's job. And, and really, you know, you've been amazing. It's just, and I love you. And I want you to win bigger somewhere where else, blah, blah, blah. Like you get the point. All right, let's get to, let's get to something else. Maybe there's value here. All right. So this was interesting. This was UK men's health and then we'll get out of here. UK men's health. And the issue, yeah, I should source the issue, but it's not near me, so we'll live. Here's how men rate success. Here's how they measure success. 6% of men said it's their, ha their measure of success, 6% say it's cash in the bank, how much cash they have in the bank. That was 6%. 20% said find it, they find their success by comparing their earnings with their friends. Okay, So they say, hey, these are my friends. I earn more. I'm successful because I heard more than my friends, okay? 59% um, the article, it's just a one-page article, said 59% measure success by personal happiness. Meaning, you know, I am as an existential individual being, I am personally happy. and it, Or if I'm personally happy, that's what success, nearly 60%. So here's just a couple of little touches on that. 6% say cash in the bank. So if that's you, here, here's one thing. Um, just food for thought. If maybe maybe you would report that. There's no judgment on that. It's an awareness of going. You know what? When cash is in the bank, I feel like I'm successful. Ride with it. Roll with it. So I wouldn't go to that person and say, "Oh, you're you're pathetic." Blah blah. blah. I just say, you know what? For you, cash in the bank is nutrition. If that makes you successful, that makes you feel successful. Get some cash in the bank and see if that actually does give you the success feeling you want. So there's value there. 20% by comparing their earnings with friends. Now I will say that, you know, you can, 
a lot of people would say, oh, you know, you shouldn't compare itis and this and that. If comparison helps and motivates in a non-covetous destructive of the competition, and it's actually healthy motivating, by all means, compare with your friends. Um, there's friends around you. That, so there's this, the, the, the gospel apparently of, you know, happiness is currently like, don't compare yourself with others. Well, if you have a friend and you know that that friend simply works harder than you or whatever, or this and that other thing, and they're killing it and you're not killing it. Don't try to shut the feeling that they're killing it and you know, you could do better. Let that like, for me, I'm just going to, I'm not going to preach to you right now. I'm going to tell you what I've done. I've seen some of my friends who are absolutely killing it in certain ways and they might be killing it in ways I wouldn't kill it anyway. So I don't even care. But sometimes I look at someone and I'll say, you know what? Um, no, they're making, they're making way too much money compared to what I'm making. I'm going to up my game and I'm going to make more than them. And I, it's not, it's not this greed spine. It, the, the energy of it is like, you know what? That's a nice benchmark for me. Um, I know I can do better than that. I just, I know I can. So I'm going to do it. And it's benign. It's motivating. So if 20%, if you compare it, uh, look, so I look at it more from a positive aspect. If there's people you can compare it to and say, you know what? I, they're not, they're not much better than me. And the highest earners and the fastest quantum leapers that I've seen in business will look at somebody and say, so-and-so is doing 1.5 million a month. And instead of having starry eyes and, you know, celebrity melting and, you know, zombie eyes at them wondering with stars in their eyes, how, how it's possible for that person to be such a magnificent human being, hero worship, basically, instead of having hero worship, they go, you know, so-and-so does 1.5 million a month. I don't even think their shit's that good. Like I can do this. And I coach people and the best people that burst on the scene and like quantum scale are people that, and it's not negative. It's not like that person sucks. I'm better than them, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if they can do it, I can do it. And that's how I felt almost at every transition. I'm like, if that person can do that, achieve that, get that, I'm, I'm, it's on the table for me. And so food for thought on that. Now here's with personal happiness. Let's get to this one. 59% of people say personal happiness. And that is such a generic term. The magazine didn't really go into it. So here's just a little fill in the blank. We'll wrap up on this. How do you, how do we, how can we detect personal happiness? Now I have another podcast that was on prosperity indicators. I know I'm successful when fill in the blank. If you haven't listened to that one, go back prosperity indicators. I think it's one of the more, uh, if you want to be happy, it's a really good, it's a really good podcast on that subject. But here's, here's what I would do to kind of gauge and discover, locate, find the locus of your happiness. This is what I would ask. There's a handful of questions. I just jotted them down real quick. Here's how I'd find it. I would say currently I'm happiest when I'm fill in the blank. So if you ask yourself right now, like just play it, let's play it. I'll do a little song and I just answer for yourself. Currently, you are happiest when you are, do, 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 do. think about it. When are you currently? And the reason I'm saying currently is because life is so seasonal that if you, I, I think there's a danger in setting like these are in stone, like water, life is kind of a stream of light. It's kind of a seasonal stream. 
And like right now I'm happiest when we're sitting around the dinner table and we're singing songs and we're having conversations and the kids are sharing their wins. It's just, it's such a happy moment for me. Now, if I, if I implanted, I know myself enough and I, I sense myself enough to say, if that's my happiest moment, I'm opening up a dangerous thing because guess what? Those kids aren't meant to sit around my dinner table in that form for more than 10 more years. It's over. It's meant to be over. And then, oh, I sorry, I didn't shut off my, uh, didn't shut off my, didn't shut that off. Okay, we'll just let it keep dinging. Life will go on. Um, so anyway, what I recommend is saying currently I'm happiest when, right? I'm happiest when we're around the table because the danger of saying like, I'm happiest when the kids are around the dinner table. Well, what happens when they start going to college? And then the next one goes to college. And the next one starts his business, moves across the country. And the next one gets married and moves to Arkansas or whoever knows, or Europe or something. What happens when I my belief that I've taught myself is I'm happiest when the kids are around the dinner table? What, then I get to be happy just at Thanksgiving when everyone flies home? No. So I just say currently, because I think in the future, I'd like to say currently I'm happiest when I'm traveling around seeing the success in the families and the grandchildren that I have, that's when I'm happiest. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, I all of this is very seasonal and very um, very flux. It's in flux and it's in a stream. So I would say currently I'm happiest when, and go ahead and say it. Because right now, again, a lot of my listeners are young 20s. Currently, you might be happiest when you're with your bros. Um, you know, when you're with your bros and you're out on the town celebrating the wins for the weekend, getting table service at a club, and rocking and rolling, having a fat cigar to wrap up the night. Now, I would say when you have three or four kids, you know, if that's that, you, you still do that, but it's like you know, you transition out of that, and that's not going to be your happiest. But anyway, currently I'm happiest when. Next question I would say: Currently, I'm least stressed when I'm doing fill in the blank. Because what is happiness other than the state of being happy when you're doing something? the absence of a kind of degenerating stress. So currently I'm least stressed when I'm doing what? Okay, whatever you're thinking, answer more of that. Do that. Okay, so do more of that. So I'm least stressed. If you're least stressed when you're taking Epsom salt, like for me, um, I'm least stressed. There's a lot of least stress, but I'm least stressed when I'm doing an Epsom salt bath. Um, it's filled with all sorts of things, cinnamons, um, lavenders, calgons. I've got usually a kind of a smooth opera or not an opera, smooth, um, classical music in the back. I've got a stack of new magazines and books I haven't really looked into. I may or may not have some herbal fl things floating in the air in the smoke form. That's when I'm ha that's when I'm least stressed. Okay. Now I don't, can't live there. I wouldn't make any money, but identify what is the least stressing. Now, Currently, I feel best when I'm filling the blank. I feel best after I've done this. Do more of that and happiness is in the trail. So I don't think happiness is what we're aiming for. I think these questions are better. Currently, my future feels brightest after I fill in the blank. Currently, my future feels the brightest after I do what? Read what? Take what action? When is the most hope happen? Here's another one. Here's a hack to happiness. Currently, I feel the very most guilt 
when I fill in the blank. Now, I would, I would really confront this one because it's, I mean, let's get real. Answer it. Let's think about it. Currently, I feel the absolute most guilt in my life when I fill in the blank. Now, that might be, I don't know. It's unique to you, and it could take a mil- it could take thousands of different forms, right? Currently, I feel the absolute most guilt when I'm at the gym working out, and my kids are sitting there watching TV, and I come home and I realize my house is completely out of control. Kids are kids that don't respect or care, or they barely talk to each other. It's like we're just a bunch of people living in the house. Get clear on currently when you feel the most guilt, or. For someone else, it might be currently, I feel the most guilt when I go for week after week after week after week of not working out because I feel so good when I work out, but I don't work out and I feel terribly guilty. It could be I feel the most guilt when I wake up and I lose the entire first part of the morning to get over my hangover. Now, I've done that and been there many, many times, and it eventually got to a point where it felt normal for me to wake up with a little bit of a headache for the first two hours of the day, and I just powered through it. <laughs> I mean, that's where I was at. I'm not proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it. It just is what it was. But I got to a point where I was like, I remember one of the first, I remember, this is how funny this is. And I wasn't going out like terrible. It was a dull headache. It didn't terribly affect my work, but it did affect, I just, whatever. Well, a couple nights I don't drink. I drink water and just have a normal life, normal uh, whatever. And I wake up and I feel really good. And I wondered if something was going on. Like, what ha- what's going on? Like, I feel really good in the morning. I hadn't felt good in the morning in years because I, I drank almost every night. Like three to five, six beers, something like that. But anyway, I feel the most guilt when I, what is it? If it's, you know dipping into three hours of a weird, bizarre pornography, you know, binge. And that's when you feel the absolute most guilt. I'm just saying, know what makes you feel horribly guilty. Okay. Feel the most guilt when I lie to a client to close a sale and I get the money. I feel just the most bizarre form of guilt when I do that. Feel the most guilt when I blah, blah, blah. Just like that's a good hack to find out to where your happiness is. Another question. I lose track of all time and feel enriched and rewarded when I'm creating, fill in the blank. I lose track of all time and feel enriched and rewarded when I'm creating what? What is it? Now that's a good one for a possible path to a real powerful uh, hobby and possibly a really possible profession of making a just shit ton of money. I lose track of all time and feel enriched and rewarded when I'm creating what? Now for me, I make this answer for me is is uh, complicated because I lose all track of time when I'm studying. Um, but studying doesn't pay me. I don't get paid to study. Okay, so this is kind of a weird thing. I lose all track of time when I'm actually singing and playing music, but I don't make money singing and playing music. Okay, so what I lose track of time in sometimes isn't my work. Now here, when I feel enriched and rewarded the most is when I have tons of money just dumping into our accounts. Just troves of dollars spiking 
constantly thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Last couple of weeks, you know, we've, you know, we've had about a hundred, I think it was 109,000. Now I'm not saying that's a lot of money. I'm not saying it's not a lot of money, but in the last couple of weeks, we've done $109,000 hitting the account, which is an uptick from the previous months. And, you know, we're, we got a lot of month left and we got a lot of, we got a lot of tricks in the bag to make a lot more money. I feel incredibly enriched when I'm being enriched. <laughs> okay. And I just, it's something I acknowledge. And so, so I work with it. So when you're, anyway, but I lose all track of time doing things that don't pay me, but I feel enriched when I'm getting paid. And I feel the most rewarded when I hear people after they go through the trainings after they go through the content, after they go through the experience and the design that I've created, I feel the most reward when I hear that story and I actually see their actions. So what's really weird is the work itself, none of it is in, in my answer here. The actual work of teaching, I don't lose all track of time when I'm teaching. I enjoy teaching, but I don't lose all track of time. And I don't feel particularly rewarded when I'm in the act of teaching. The reward comes after somebody purchases it, uses it, and tells me how much it's changed their life. It's the result in the reward. So however you answer that, it's just it's just worth a little worth a little dig into your current situation to say, when do I feel the most enriched? When do I feel the most rewarded? When do I lose all track of time? And they may all be three different answers. So maybe, you know, if I was to redo this, I did this in like five minutes. If I was to redo it, I'd say lose all track of time when I'm, you know, and keep asking yourself that question, get into more of those states. And then I feel the most enriched after I've whatever. And it might be, you know, doing a learning thing. It might be going to a live event. It might be a stimulating uh, conversation with a friend. It might be a cigar and a, you know, a cup of coffee and a brand new book. I don't know what enriches you, but ask yourself because the more you can locate that the less of a default person we become and then we fall into other people um we just fall and we become a default wandering just a wandering zombie okay finally um this is really a final question on the relation of personal happiness because i think happiness comes from mastery i think it comes from achievement i think it comes from a lot of things integrity i think it comes from a lot of places but i think creative um creative accomplishments at the on the ass end of them on the back end of a creative accomplishment that you can look at and say wow that was created and and there it is and there it exists and then extra you want to layer extra awesome on it people acknowledge it and say that was awesome that for me that's my awesome moment but the actual work of creating it is arduous to me it's just lots of time. Anyway, this one is one of the best super achievement questions I've ever come up with. And I ask these to myself. Currently, after I pull off X, meaning after I pull off this, and it might be after I pull off this promotion, after I launch this company, after I dial in that offer, after I create that song or that album or that movie, after I pull off, and this should be something juicy, this should be something in the space of the dream code. After I pull that off, I'm a little uncertain if I'll ever be able to outdo myself again. Now, let me frame up this. I've used this 
for my whole career as an information marketer. Meaning after I pulled off Info Blueprint, I was uncertain that I would ever be able to create a piece of content that ever rivaled that course. It was 14 hours. I made a million bucks in a week. Didn't get to keep that, but I mean, we did one, I think it was 1.1 million in seven days, 300,000 in the first hour. And I remember when I was creating this course saying, this is all I got. I am giving every fricking thing I got, every little trick on how to, every trick on how to save time, every trick on how to pull off a webinar, every trick on how to host a live event, every trick on how to promote, every trick on how to tap into human capital, every trick on how to save money. It was an eight-figure blueprint and it took like fire and it's still being consumed every minute of every day. And I thought when I'm doing it, I will never, after this, I told initially, I told uh, one of my partners, I said, I might retire after this because I will have nothing left to say, really. This is all I got. And I felt that way after leadership branding for direct response, which I did a year before or two years before. And that was a smashing success. But I, I gave everything I had to that project. And I'm going somewhere with this story. And then when I did Solomon, I did Solomon CEO, and that's another 10 to 15 hour course. And that thing, there was just a certain sense of magic on that. I did not prepare for it. I literally opened my laptop, created an action guide, hit record, never edited a single word. We sold it. It's made millions upon millions, changes people's lives. It, I, it just, it was crazy. But when I did it, I remember when I finished it, I was like, I'm a little scared because I got nothing left to say. Like that was the, that is the stuff that did it for me. It got me to 5 million bucks fast from welfare to 5 million in less than like three or four years. And I just, I was a little uncertain. And so from a creational standpoint, here's what I'm getting at. I want to suggest, well, I'm going to share my own story. My own story is when I have this kind of fanciful notion that I'm going to create something and I do the very best I can, I want to, I actually like feeling completely emptied and going, that was the best I got. I'm not saving anything. I got nothing saved. It's a dangerous feeling, and I think we protect ourselves as creators to kind of hold back and say, well, you know, I haven't even really done my real thing. Who, 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 wait for that. And it's a conversation to ourselves because anyone with any fucking sense can look at you and go, shut up. Like, you're not doing shit. Don't give me that crap. But we like to tell ourselves that. Like, oh, you know, I'm just holding back. Wait till I wait till I do that one. Wait till I create that thing. Just wait. And we tell ourselves this like just wait game and it blocks the creative flow. So to we'll wrap up this puppy with this one. Here's the challenge. Here's the idea. Whatever that great, magnificent, kind of magnum opus, last moment, gold medal thing you think you want to try, get it out there. Because as soon as you do it, what I've experienced is now you're, you're empty, but it's empty and it's not lonely and dark. It's empty. And what happens is a brand new world fills that gap, a brand new world of understanding because of your creative journey, because of the process, because of what you've learned, because of the reactions and the impacts you see from that, which you create your well of knowledge starts multiplying and really goes quantum. Quantum is when it skips any form of linear uppage, meaning it just, you know, it's kind of like there's a growth curve 
but then the quantum means it just there's no there's a no time has passed but all of a sudden the knowledge meter spikes without the passing of time who i've seen go quantum and how i've been able to go quantum many times in my life is this bizarre thing where i leave it out and i'm like i think i'm out of ideas i don't think i have anything left to share i think that was my greatest go the more you can put that on the court and if you're an athlete you know that's when you leave every freaking thing on the court there's nothing left there's no energy left it's all on the court those teams are champions all right mark overson minute with mark hopefully you got some value from this muchas gracias